This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast. Welcome back. We're really excited that you're here learning about investing from the best investors in the world. Uh, particularly Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett. And we're deep into Munger and Buffett right now in the discussion that was started kind of a couple weeks ago. Yes. As Charlie had his annual meeting and now Warren Buffett's released his letter for the year. And these become big events for the value investing community to take a look at what's the latest and greatest from these guys. And we've been talking about some of that to this point. And I think we'll continue diving into that today. What do you think? I think we should. I mean, one thing that that really struck me about when Charlie spoke at the daily journal meeting was that he said, I think twice that if he had made some investment in the seventies, his net worth would be double what it is right now. And I can tell, I mean, for him to even talk about something that happened in the seventies, that is a long time ago. And he's still thinking about it. So, (laughs) I, I mean, I heard him say that and I was like, wow, that really it tortures him. I can tell not in any really bad way, but in a way where when he thinks about it, he's like, oh, I really wish I had that one back. And, it, you know, one thing that he's known for is not doing much. Like we talked last time about how he's he uh, he just hardly ever has a transaction and is so uh stuck into the companies and the funds that he invests in and doesn't really make changes. And, and for good reason, because he spends an enormous amount of time reading about the company he wants to own, puts in a lot of work to, to come to understand all the good things and all the bad things about it. Mm -hmm. As you would, if you were going to buy a company, if you were going to buy a laundromat, if you were going to buy a, uh, a McDonald's franchise, you Mm -hmm. would, you would take the time because this is it, right? I mean, if you're going to buy a house down the road, you're going to take the time to understand if that thing's a good house. Yeah. And, and that's what Charlie's done here. He's taken the time. And as a result, I think what he was saying was that he, he makes occasional mistakes of commission where of you commission. do all this work and then you buy the wrong business. That's a mistake of commission. You You made a mistake. Every investor has done it. You're going mm-hmm. to do it too, mm-hmm. where you just think you got it understood and then it doesn't work out the way you hoped it would. They actually, which, like the way, Buffett and Munger, but Buffett in particular, makes that mistake like pretty often. It's kind of funny, actually. But, but the key is that you buy these things with a big margin of safety. You can pretty much be assured of getting out of it without a permanent loss of capital. Mm-hmm. And so the mistake of commission... If you've done it with a margin of safety, typically works out where, okay, I I wish I didn't do that one, but I haven't lost my money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Okay. I haven't made any money, but I haven't lost. I haven't made any money. Yeah. Wish I'd done something differently there. Yeah. Now comes the one that Charlie and Warren do a lot of errors in, and that is mistakes of omission. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I didn't pull the trigger when I should have. And I was sitting there with the information. I have the information and I didn't buy the thing. And I don't know, you know, specifically how many of these different things Charlie could go through. But one of the way you make a mistake of, of omission that I make over and over again, it's very painful. I hate it. And that is, I want to buy this business. I've set the price to buy it, but the stock price doesn't come down to my buy price. Yeah. And I don't get to buy it. And I was right. It's a great business. It goes on. Yeah. To like I was right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Those are really painful. It's torture. And that's what Charlie's no, that's what Charlie's talking about is you say he's still moaning over this 1970s mistake. Yeah, because he had it right in front of him and for some reason he didn't pull the trigger. Typically, yeah, for you to look back on that, it's gonna be because you know you want to buy it, but you weren't willing to pay the price in the market. Hmm. I'm gonna guess that's what happened to him. Hmm. It wasn't just he just, oh, I just missed it. It's that he didn't miss it. He had it, but he didn't want to pay the price. And the reason why I think that's likely, and you'll have to hear from Charlie oh, about this. That's a very but, interesting thought. Go ahead. Yeah. Though The reason I think it's likely is because those guys, Buffett and Munger, talk about purchasing C's candy back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. They bought it for $25 million. Today... So they bought the whole company, right? And you know what Seas Candy does. It makes chocolates in a box. So they're classic <laughs> <Yes>. chocolate <laughs> manufacturer, right? And not the high end. They're not Godiva. They're, they're just sort of a low end but consistent earner. Mm -hmm. And today, today, this is the best part. They, they paid $25 million for it in the 1970s. Today, it makes $65 million a year in cash that goes to Berkshire Hathaway. That's completely insane. Just Is that not crazy? Yes. It makes almost three times what they paid for it in cash flow every year to Buffett. So this is a classic example of a wonderful business that's a compounder. It doesn't grow super fast. It grows at like 4% a year, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? You don't have to have a super fast grower if you buy it at the right price. Now, here's the, here's the reason I brought this up is because Munger and Buffett have both said that if the owner of C's Candy did not bring his price down to $25 million. If he was $10 more than $25 million, they would have not bought that company. Hmm. They would have not bought it. And it would have been another huge mistake hmm. of omission. What, I, have it, not, right? I haven't read anything about that or heard them talk about that. What Did they talk about it in the context of that would have been a mistake or did they talk oh, about yeah. it in the context of they're laughing. that is the correct they're laughing decision at themselves. Oh, really? No, they're laughing at themselves. Just like, Whoa. I mean, we really could have missed that one because we were negotiating and the guy selling it didn't have to come to our number. He could have, you know, popped another just above our number number and we wouldn't have done the deal. Yeah. They were in the context of that would have been a goof. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Cause look how much money this thing made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's in, and it's also in the context of understanding that you are going to make mistakes of omission. If you're a really good ruler type investor where you're, you're focused on not losing money and therefore you're focused on two things. Is this a long-term wonderful business? And Am I buying it with a big margin of safety? Mm. And if you don't insist on that second one, you're going to find yourself creeping up in what you will pay for businesses. And this is what I've seen with my friends who are managing 
uh, money for other people who are very big advocates of Buffett and Munger, value investors. They understand everything we're talking about on this podcast. And yet this creep of price so that they can get deals done because they're, they're managing other people's money. That, that huge problem of, of the pressure of other people's money has pushed them to where what they do is not recognizable as this kind of investing. Well, and maybe they're okay with that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think they're okay with it. And they're still doing real well. I mean, these guys are making good yeah. money. But They're making good returns. You said something really interesting, which was we should expect to make mistakes of omission. That like that like blew my mind for a second. I should expect mm. to make mistakes of omission. I should expect to do that. Sure. I don't because like that at all. Are, at all. Well, uh, consider that a mistake is only a mistake on hindsight, right? I mean, you don't know you're making it in the moment. You don't have a crystal ball. You can't see perfectly into the future. Mm -hmm. And so you've decided, uh, you know, I'm only going to buy, you know, uh, Apple if it's at $100 a share. 100 bucks a share. That's it. I'm, that's my number because it's worth 200 and right. Or I'm not saying it's worth 200. Don't take that literally. Mm -hmm. But just in this, in this notion that you've set the price with the margin of safety analysis as best you can, and you're holding to it. And other people are buying it for higher prices and continue to buy it for higher prices. And it never comes to a hundred, but it goes on to become this great compounder that goes on forever. Right. That happens. I mean, that absolutely happens. And that is, on hindsight, you just sort of agonize over having done all the work. You know you want it. It's on your wish list. And you don't pull the trigger because it doesn't quite get to where you want to buy it. Yeah, which That's in this market is pretty much what's happening to everybody. Every single thing, just yeah. about. Yeah, just about everything in this market is not coming to a place where I can buy it and feel good about it. And I don't feel like I'm alone. I mean, Warren Buffett in his letter, which just came out, made the point that it's extremely hard right now to find companies to invest in. And he was referring not only in the public market where they found something to invest in, but also in the private market. They haven't bought anything in a private market for quite some yeah, time. Yeah, and he did talk about that prices are in so his high. letter that he's just... He would desperately love to buy an entire huge elephant-sized company, but they haven't been able to find one that's priced correctly. Also, he made some, a really interesting point about the changes in the market that have happened um, as a result of regulations continuing to increase on public stocks. That there are that fewer. That today there are more and more and more and more, although the, no, the, this administration is trying to cut the red tape. No, um, that there are fewer the, companies so, being publicly traded. Oh, right. Right. People don't want to take their company public. They don't want to be subjected to Sarbanes-Oxley on a quarterly basis, having to, you know, be criminally liable for errors of your accounting, um, even if you didn't mean to make the mistake, right? It's not fraud. It's just negligence. And that's criminal now under Sarbanes-Oxley. So today we have, you know, um, gosh, 30 years ago, we had about 5,000 to 6,000 companies in the Wilshire uh, Index, which is the largest index. Today, we have about 2,500. 
So the number of public companies in the United States is going down rapidly, um, and predominantly because of regulation. Which so I don't meanwhile, think it's a bad thing, which we already had well, a long I either, conversation but about. I can see why these companies don't want to yeah. do it. Also, because you have to respond to the quarterly demands of the people who are putting your money in there, which we just talked about mm-hmm. last week as being really a terrible thing for the public markets. So companies that want to have a long-term goal, don't have to respond to quarterly inputs, um, are not going public. And as a result, you would think Buffett would be overjoyed because, ah, oh, wow, we've got all these opportunities in the private market. We have billions of dollars. We'll buy them privately. And the opposite has occurred. And the reason that the opposite thing has occurred is because we have an enormous pile of private equity capital that has now been created, which is dwarfing the initial public offering markets to the the tune of 10 to 1, more money going into private equity deals last year than went into initial public offerings in one of the hottest stock markets we've ever had. So this is a this is a sea change. Uh, the, the wind was blowing from east to west. It's now blowing from west to east. And as a result of all this money chasing private deals, they've priced up the private companies like Buffett's never seen in his entire career. And, uh, and it can't, he, they just can't find anything anymore. That Because, of course, if you're going to sell your company, you want to sell it for a good price. It's your private company. And so you're going to go to the best mm-hmm. bidder. And Buffett's just being outbid yeah. on everything. He also said that he expects to buy some equities. I don't remember if he said public or private exactly, but equities this year, as in stocks, even though the prices are so high. And I think he said he's working. On, they were working on a deal. The people asking him why you didn't do more in terms of buying back Berkshire stock in the last quarter when you had bought back so much of it in the third quarter. And in the fourth quarter, the stock price dropped down 10, 15% lower, and he didn't buy very much of it at all. And the reason was because they were holding on to their cash pile because they thought they were going to do a pretty good-sized deal, and it, it, it didn't go. Yes. And he hmm. also talked about how he was going to buy some equities this year, even though the prices were so high. Um, I'm trying to find it for you now. Different yeah, different point. point. Exactly. And I'm, I'm a little surprised. I mean, I think he's thinking to buy equities this year, even though the prices are really high, but he's not. I, there's no way Buffett's going to pay, overpay for anything. Not going to change the lifetime. I don't of think investing. so either. Not, and that's why I wanted to happen. bring it up because I thought it was such a strange sort of, it, it sounded tired. It I didn't, sounded tired. I didn't tired catch that one. I'll, I'll, I'll look yeah, at I'm that one. I'm trying to find it. Um, yeah, Let's move but, on. but the point is, <laughs> we'll come back to that next is, week. I, and I sort of got this vibe from the whole letter. He sounded kind of tired and it's a shorter letter yeah. than for a long time. And he sort of, you know, he like came out by changing the way he evaluates Berkshire stock, like no more book value. Now it's okay to use other method of value. It's just sort of this like, it was a bit different for me, and I wanted to see what you thought. Well, think about think about what 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 level of changes are occurring. Number one, it's hard as hell to buy private companies anymore because regulations have made it onerous, and the market itself has made it onerous to be a public company. So now we have 
fewer and fewer companies going public with more and more money chasing private companies. All right. That's one huge change that's affecting Berkshire's ability to do the business they've usually done. The second huge change is in the way the tax law has worked now for corporations for forever. You know, Berkshire has this huge block of, you know, $100 billion, $173 billion of public companies that it owns. And and what's just changed is the new accounting rules are if those stock prices go down at the end of the year, let's say that this year they're $173 billion on January 1st in the mark-to-market, and then on January 1st next year, they're $120 billion. Mm-hmm. Okay, because the market's gone mm-hmm. down, right? Um, that is a loss of value of fifty mm-hmm. billion dollars, and it just used to be an accounting valuation in the in the um, in the balance sheet. But now they have to translate that yeah, to the earnings yeah, yeah. report and write down. They have to take a loss of fifty billion on it's their totally earnings, crazy. which is going to create. It's going to create chaos for investors who are trying to understand how Berkshire is doing. If one year they're up sixty billion because stocks went up, and the next year they're down eighty billion because yeah. stocks went down, it's like and, and what the heck is going is on crazy, out there? But we have to do it. He's saying it's crazy, and it's kind of. I think yeah, he's tired of I it. So I think too. he's tired of this government stupidity. So here's what he says um, as it are comes to his business. Berkshire will forever remain a financial fortress in managing. And here's what we were just talking about in managing. I will make expensive mistakes of commission and will also miss many opportunities. Some of which should have been obvious to me at times. Our stock will tumble as investors flee from equities, but I will never risk getting caught short of cash in the years ahead. We hope to move much of our excess liquidity into businesses that Berkshire will permanently own. The immediate prospects for that, however, are not good. Prices are sky high for businesses possessing decent long-term prospects. And here's the part I was talking about. That disappointing reality means that 2019 will likely see us again expanding our holdings of marketable equities. He just sounds so bummed about it. And then he says, we continue, nevertheless, to hope for an elephant-sized acquisition. Even at our ages of 88 and 95, I'm the young one. That prospect is what causes my heart and Charlie's to beat faster. Just writing about the possibility of a huge purchase has caused my pulse rate to soar. My expectation of more stock purchases is not a market call. He emphasizes not. Charlie and I have no idea as to how stocks will behave next week or next year. Predictions of that sort have never been a part of our activities. Our thinking, rather, is focused on calculating whether a portion of an attractive business is worth much more than its market is worth more than its market price. Well, well, Warren is being a little bit humble there in terms of never having made it a market call. Um, he actually does do that on a pretty regular basis, not often, but regular. Um, makes like back in the late nineteen seventies, Buffett was like, "This is." This is a good time to buy stocks. Of course, he says that a lot, but he definitely a good time to buy stocks. By the late 1990s, he was flummoxed at how difficult it was to buy stocks and was backing away from the market and talking about buying his own stock back. And he's back to that view now. Hey, this is not a market call. We will be looking in the public markets because the private markets are crazy Mm -hmm. right now. 
we can't find anything. But at least in the public markets, the volatility that happens around a fear of a, of a recent event can produce an opportunity for us to put a lot of money to work in a good company. And that's what we're hoping will happen at the beginning, you know, in 2019. So it's, it's, it's a really strong uh, statement about how different things are now for Berkshire than they were in the past and how difficult it is to put a hundred and what they have now, $112 billion in cash aside from the 20 billion that they've got there for rainy days. 112 billion they want to put into the market. And they yeah, can't so this it. problem that we're all dealing with of, well, we want to buy something and there's just nothing that's meeting the price is the same one he's dealing with, which makes me feel a little bit better. You know, I was listening to some guys on, on I guess, CNBC or Fox Business or one of the TV shows th- that were talking about how the market is has dropped and it's looking like it you know, it's, it's going to go down. And then other people are like, well, it's going to go up and we don't think it'll ever go down. And, you know, you get both sides constantly in these entertainment shows. And, um, it just, it just struck me how after 60 years of Buffett and Munger being the best investors in the world by far, nobody talks about the market the way they do. Nobody says it's not about the market. It's about individual companies that you want to buy that you'll have the opportunity mm-hmm. to buy cheaply. And that's all it's about. And I think that's ultimately Buffett's point about not making a market call. He's not he's not saying run out and buy stuff in this market. He's saying go buy a wonderful business when it's on sale, just like we've been doing for the last 60 years. But we have a better chance at it in the public markets this next year than See, we do I in the private markets. I struggle with that, though, because we have talked so much on this podcast about the market and about how this market is so high and the indicators that you showed me how to use, like the Schiller PE to see that the market is higher compared to historical levels than it almost ever has before. And, and so therefore the idea is it's better to not be invested in the market in, in, in companies in the market while we wait for this crash, because then once the crash happens, then we'll have money available to buy the very cheap companies makes total sense. Okay, well, I'm certainly not going to. I'm not going to contradict Warren Buffett. No, 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 but but I mean, Buffett's I right. I don't know if he's right though. That's my point. I think it's okay for him to be wrong sometimes. Okay, well, I was going to put a butt in there. <laughs> I'm not going to contradict. <laughs> I'm not going to contradict Warren in in his view that he's never going to call the markets and doesn't have an opinion. Uh, I, although, think I think too. he does too. That's where actually. I was going with that. And. <laughs> and and I think one of those times was in 2001, he was quoted in Forbes as, as saying, look, when the Wilshire GDP ratio gets up to a certain level, it's, it's like your house is on fire, folks. You're, you're playing with fire by buying public stocks. And um, he's not saying anything like that quite right now, although the Wilshire GDP ratio just between you and me is at insanely high levels right now over 175% of the market. When Buffett was buying stocks back in the 70s, it was at 20% of the (laughs) market. Wow. Factor that, right? In other words, the stock market is seven, almost seven times more expensive relative to GDP than it was in the 70s when Buffett was making billions of dollars in the market. So the point being, it can't be sustained up here. 
and we do look at the market and we do look at that indicator and say, wow, we are playing with fire to be just going out and buying companies right now. And, uh, and yet Buffett can be right that, okay, we're not going to make a market call, but you know, we just go try to find great companies that are on sale. Okay. So here's what I think. I think that he totally looks at the market overall and totally in the last few years, even in his letter has made market calls talking about like how the world's about to come crashing down and he needs to be ready with his wash tub for when it's raining gold. And now it hasn't happened. So he's just done trying to like sort of predict this thing. I think he's just like, (laughs) whatever guys, if I find a cheap company, I'm going to buy that. I am not making any market calls. I'm out of that game, but like basically I think he still holds to his ideas from before. He just doesn't know when they're going to happen and none of us do. I mean, I was just talking to some people the other day and somebody said something like, well, maybe the laws of economics just don't apply anymore. And the, you know, the amount of like government involvement is so different. And I just thought like, God, as soon as somebody starts saying the laws of economics don't apply anymore, that's the second everything goes back to be corrected and turn normal again. <laughs> exactly. I, I, that sounds exactly. That's like exactly what I was going to say. Dot com quotes. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. I think it's, it's actually a really good indicator yeah, of the top. I don't, I don't We're there. <laughs> We're there. And I don't know how much longer this will last. Honestly, I don't. The, the economy is cranking yeah, which right is now. Great. Uh, so far. But the economy is always cranking right before the recession that you didn't see coming. Oh, really? Comes. See, I have actually not, I've not been through a recession as an investor. So I, I don't really know what it looks like. Well, it starts off with the market predicting five of the last three starts recessions. starts off with the market predicting five so of you the have last three. What does that mean? <laughs> means the market's a terrible predictor of recession. It's predicting more oh. recessions than there are, right? Or then it won't predict any at all, and then you'll have two, right, or something. So the market What do you mean? Like the market crashes, it. but then there's no gonna, recession? Is that what you mean? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the last one was 2015. The market went down a big chunk. The mar- market just went down almost mm-hmm. 20% in December, and there was no recession on in sight, no, nowhere at all. So again, another error by the market getting out ahead of things. And what that means is when it comes, it's going to come as a surprise, and it always does. It's like if we all knew what the indicators were that would say recession, we would all short the market and make a bazillion dollars. But that doesn't work like that. And as a result, we don't see it coming. Inevitably, almost by definition, bam, something happens. That's the straw on the, on the camel's back and down it goes. So all we can do is look at the major indicators that have worked in the past and be wary. And I'm still looking to buy some companies, but I'm wary. I'm being very conservative about my valuations. And and so that's, I think, all we can do in this environment. And I think Buffett is, I agree. I think he feels like, he, it feels like he's tired. It feels like he doesn't yeah, understand yeah. what's going on in the market. Like, and he's been here before and he knows it'll work out, but come on, I'm 86 or 88. Uh, How old is he? Let me look it up. He's 88 the, and he's the he young one? Yeah, he's 88 and Munger's 95. Yeah. Yeah. 
And these guys won't change the, the way they're investing. And it's got to be frustrating with people looking at his company and saying, man, you've been sitting on $100 billion for over two years. Your rate of return in the market isn't beating the market for the last decade. You know, maybe you've lost your touch. And Buffett's been there before, but he hasn't been there before at 88 mm -hmm. years old. That's a different deal. 20 years ago, no problem, right? He was hearing the same exact stuff. He's 68 years old. Hey, go ahead. And I know I'm going to be right. And he was right. And he killed it. And this time he's 88. And it's just got to be a question. Am I going to be around long enough to see my company get to Yeah, and I think he just wants to do what he loves, which like even the way he writes about it, about his like pulse rate going up as soon as he gets to think about a transaction that's elephant size, like how amazing, like he just wants to do that stuff and he's older and he doesn't yep. want to miss out on it. So I think that's what's going on. He's just like, dude, I'm, I'm ready. Like, let me, let me do my thing here. You know? Yeah. I mean, granted, we're not investors that invest the way I do, the way, the way I've learned from Buffett. We're not in the market much, but, you know, if you're not in the market at all, if you're not able to find anything for oh, years, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. It's it's really tough you, to be that patient while everything is massively overpriced, knowing full well that the laws of nature have not been somehow repealed, and that eventually things come back to where to the to the mean. They revert to the mean, and we I will have that happen. That I just don't know when. I've gotten frustrated about that, but. I also have noticed over and over every week as I do my investing practice that there's always more companies to learn about that are really interesting. And so I keep actually having this like back and forth, very, very mind spinningly experience where I'm like, oh man, I'm all ready to go. If only it would crash. And then I'm, the next day I'm like, oh man, look at all these companies I need to learn about. I need time. I hope it doesn't crash anytime soon because I have to like read everything. And then the next day it's like, oh man, you know, so it just. That's a, that's it. That's okay. Everybody listening to this, take what Danielle just said to heart, because that is really important that we're given an opportunity here to be at the end of a very long bull market cycle, the market going up. And what Danielle is saying, honey, you're 100% right, is right now it's a blessing the market has crashed for most everybody yes. listening to this podcast because yes. you haven't done the homework yet. You are not in a position yet where you have a list of 10 companies that you know inside and out, you're very confident about. Um, you're not there and you need to get there. And the good news is there's still time to get there because even if the market started crashing tomorrow, you wouldn't be a buyer for another six months or a year. It's going to take for things to really work their way down hmm. to where you can buy them. But you've got to get ready and take this time to get ready. This is now think why is Buffett yeah. frustrated? Because he's yeah. already ready. Yeah. He knows every company. Yeah. And you and I, Danielle, I've got some, but you guys have none. And you need to get a stack of these on your wish list. And you need to do that now. In fact, that's what we need to be talking about more and more is mm -hmm. stacking up the wish list. I really think we should. And I think we should talk about some of the things that you could use for a checklist. Sure. For that well, that's a great list. idea. So yeah, coming up, we'll talk about 
wish list and checklist. Uh, we've got Jake Taylor coming on in a couple of weeks. You guys get his book, Rebel Allocator, and read it before our interview because we're going to talk about it as though you have read the book. And uh, we've got some other yes. really cool interviews coming up. And yeah, exciting stuff on the Invested Podcast. I'm not going to say what they are yet until we've recorded them. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But we do have like, we do like have amazing some, guests. Uh, uh, amazing. Like a couple guests. of authors that are Super coming excited. on with us that are really, really amazing yeah. that are going to help you as an investor. So, all right. I think uh, right. we better wrap Thanks, it up. Everybody. I think it's time to go play. Bye. All right, guys. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.